0: Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips from RelationshipGPSProject.com.
1: So the question is How are people like us who didn't grow up being taught how to have an authentic relationship or have any great relationship role models? who are facing the usual challenges and stresses of work and life how do we get over breakups get into authentic relationships and maintain love and connection with all of the challenges of the modern world without losing our identity or sanity that is the question and my quest is to give you the answers maybe from childhood did you have great relationship role models
0: great relationship role models wow um so funny i think about so many things in my life and that's not I hadn't thought of it as that perspective, but actually, yes. I mean, my parents, they were married for 46 years when my mother passed away and they were married their whole life, but their marriage wasn't always easy. Um, it wasn't a household of angst. I, I believe that I had one of those childhoods where people would like to look at it and say, wow, that's a normal American childhood. Um, when in fact, we find out, you know, nobody really knows what normal is. But um, I grew up in a house where people generally were kind with each other and they got along. But as adults, we do still laugh at the times that we fought and made fun of each other and hurt each other as kids, you know. So uh, we did that too. Um, and my parents did have a time when things weren't as easy and we were aware of that. So I knew that they worked through things. I mean, I could see that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I did. And, and my, some of my friends' marriage, I wasn't around a lot of divorce. I remember when my next-door neighbor's family got a divorce. That was kind of shocking to me. You know, I mean, this was in uh, America in the 70s when there wasn't as much divorce, and I was learning about it. So, I would say I grew up in a healthy family situation. Yes, it had troubles, and yes, it had laughter and blessings. So, yeah, it was a good example.
1: And so, where did you, you and your husband meet?
0: How we met, and you can let me know if you want to get into this story or not, but it's actually, both of us came to live in Nashville. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, actually Franklin, Tennessee, south of Nashville. And um, in my family, I grew up, I was a firstborn child and my mom had some vision problems. And so when I went to school and went away, I was ready to stay away for a while. You know, I'd been, you know, active a lot in my community and in my family, and I was just enjoying being on my own. But I literally felt like I had a supernatural guide from God that said, come back to me, come back to Nashville. I want you to come back and live in Nashville. And my husband also, he's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he had a similar, it wasn't, his experience wasn't similar, but it was similarly supernatural and how he arrived in Nashville. Just an amazing experience, how he wanted a new direction and met somebody and how it all came together was just so amazing. And so we both ended up in Nashville at the same time. And when I got back to Nashville, I was already impatient to leave. And, uh, but I met him shortly thereafter, met him about two months after I got home. Well, the month after I got home. And we actually were wed 10 months after we met. So within a year of my coming home, I was married and then, you know, when I felt like God told me to come back to Nashville, he had actually said to me, you're going to be there between uh, 18 to 24 months. And we actually left the area, having been married for about a year, at 21 months. Um, and so it was a, there were so many things at the beginning that just made me feel like it was right and we were the right people for each other. And it really gave us a good foundation when things did get more difficult. We could look back to that and say... There's a reason we're together. You know, too many things came together at the right time to just toss everything or be cavalier. Uh, and our faith was instrumental. When we got married, we were very much about being committed. Um, we didn't use divorce as part of our language, it wasn't an option. We always believed there was a way to work through it. Um, and my husband's family, he, his parents are still married and they've um, been married for over 60 years. Oh. yes 60 um and so we've had that you know he also had that example but that was our start was we're going to stay married we were committed from the beginning and that was it we were committed
1: so so you so you obviously have a background of faith yes um, and you both uh, have kind of parents that were together in the, in the long term. It was like you, you didn't have a get out. So you had to work things out, whatever right. problems or challenges you'd face. Right. If you were to look back um, at the you that were um, when you got married, what were the things that you wish you knew then that you know now?
0: One of the most important things that we learned, it was about five to seven years into our marriage that we learned. I mean, I'm going to say it now, the thing that saved our marriage. I mean, at that point we were already like, Oh my gosh, we're so different. Is this going to work? You know? And, um, it was so hard. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. It was so hard. Um, and we actually did the DISC profile, the DISC profile. It's a personality Mm -hmm. profile that um, has started in business and it's broadly used now. And we found out who we really are, our personalities. Um, And we used to say we found out how we're hardwired. That can become an excuse later on. We can talk about that some more if you want. But we found out how we were personality-wise. This is who I am. And even as I grow in self-awareness, this is still going to be who I am. And so we learned who I am and who he is. And then we could just kind of sit back in a chair and go, oh, All right, well, a few more things make sense now, and we could look at each other and the way we behaved and the way we interacted and things that agitated us about each other. We at least understood you're not doing that just to make me mad, you're you do that realistically, um, and you come by it honestly. Okay, well, good, let's uh, let's start from here now. It kind of gave us a new leveling up, and um. So right now, when I teach uh, a lot of the classes that I teach, and even when I talk to young people, I'm very much, let's find out your personality profile in one, whether people like the DISC or Myers-Briggs or um, the Enneagram, my son did a different one even at his office. So whatever it is, those tools help people understand things about themselves that can help them be more at peace with who they are. And when they're more at peace with who they are, then they can get along others with better with others, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. So what were the, the biggest challenges? You said it was about five, to seven years in, and what would yep. you say were the challenges that cropped up then?
0: We were in an environment, we were self-employed, and we were trying to work together, and he was doing things his way, and I was doing things my way, and that worked okay when, before we had kids. You know, he could kind of do his own track, and I could do my own track, but then we had a child, Raising our kids was just a huge value for us. And we had a lot of romantic ideas about what that would be like, as I think many people do. And for us personally, and I think this is, there's some lesson here for a lot of people in the culture, in the Western culture of the world right now too, was um, I wanted to stay home with our kids and I wanted to actually homeschool them and spend time with them and laugh with them and be with them. My personality is such a, a doer and in charge kind of person My poor kids, I'm still trying to tell them what to do, but they talk back to me really well now. You know, we've talked through all that, you know, what is it like to have mom help me do things? And so I have this large personality that wanted to be doing things and wanted to be leading. And so I was investing all that in my kids, which was fine. But then I was having less of a place in the community. And I had an expectation that my husband, who is an artist and a creative and a contemplative, I had this expectation that he was going to take on all these leadership roles and do all these things that I wanted to do because now I'm, I'm going to be at home. I was shifting my expectation of who I am and what I wanted in life that he should be doing that. And that's not who he is. Um, we had to figure out, again, who are we? What's the best place for us? And there's a big thing, and this is so true right now, in roles. What are people's roles? And, you know, I was going to be the stay at home mom and he was working and had a business. He's a, he was a graphic designer at that time. We had our roles. We weren't completely, um, settled in them, but we had our roles and it was okay. And who's going to do the cleaning and who's going to do the, the cooking, which by the way, I did it for a while. That didn't last very long. Um, it's about finding out what you're good at and what you're enjoying and taking the roles. And so when we found out that I have this large personality and I like being in charge of stuff and um, he's more introverted and doesn't want to be out with all the people all the time. Well, then we began to work much better as a team and we looked for what are the needs that I have and what are the needs that you have? And, you know, so that led to us with our family. I mentioned that I had wanted to homeschool our kids and I, I did in fact homeschool them for a few years. Um, But I also found out then that, you know, we had some learning challenges, and I just went kind of like, "Ah, I can't do this, Ah," you know, and I waved my hands and bonked the chandelier. We had fireworks in the dining room, and boom, you know, the next day, put the kids in school. It was a very dramatic moment, Um, but it led us on this path of, okay, well, gosh, now is that the best thing for our kids? Well, but wait. What's the best thing for mom? If mom can't do this, then it's not going to be best for the kids. You know, if mom's stressed out with the kids, it's not going to be good for the, you know, Marks in my relationship. And we began walking down a path of what's good for our whole family, our whole family unit. Everybody has needs in the family. We want everybody to have the best path for them in life. So let's start taking a look at, you know, okay, Marks in my relationship first. Um, how are we as individuals? How's our relationship together? Then is our time then looking at the kids once our relationship is strong. If our relationship is strong, our kids are going to be happy pretty much anywhere, whether we live in our house or our RV or they're homeschooled or public school or private school or whatever. If the parents' relationship is strong, the kids are going to feel safe in that. And they didn't. They went to various schools over the course of um, their school career, some private, some public. And our main question always was, what's best for us as a family? What does mom need at this time? What does dad need at this time? What do the kids need at this time? And how does that affect the whole relationship? So, you know, I mean, we had chosen this one private school for our kids, and what was best for our family was to move closer to the school because we spent too much driving, and that was too much of a stress factor. That's just one example. You know, once you decide, mm-hmm. then you have the spokes that go out. Um, but it was very much a team. The four of us are a unit. We're a team. And how can we all find a win together?
1: Mm. That, that's something that was um – was quite a shock to me. Where I read something years ago about, um, I'd always thought, as a parent, your children come first, and it was it was quite a shock when I, I read this thing. And someone said, "No, no, it's your spouse that comes first, because without that bond, women, you don't have that base." you don't have the base of the family and then it's going to be kids playing off against each other. And, and it seems or it's counterintuitive to me, but it's actually, you have to, you have to have that bond first as a couple before you can have that bond as a family. And before you're able to, you know, that's the base. Okay. I would,
0: i would agree with that. That was something people told me too. And, you know, we had, um, you know, we were going through all that with our marriage and trying to understand each other. Everybody was encouraging us. Yes, you're focusing on your marriage. That's good. You've got to do that. Um, and it lasts your whole life because now here we are, empty nest, been married 30, i coming up in a week on 31 years. And uh, our kids are empty nest. We still enjoy talking to each other. We still enjoy each other's company. Um, I mean, enjoy, I can honestly say Mm. we enjoy that. He's the one I love spending time with, Mm. but it didn't come without work.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. See, I think people have the, um, maybe have the same. I I, I talk about uh, a relationship as being like a recipe. Uh You have the raw ingredients, which are the people in it, the things that can't be changed. And then you have what you do with them. And I think a lot of people have had the same raw ingredients as you, but they've got stuck with the recipe. And that's Mm. why they're, you know, they haven't, their relationships have have not lasted because of so much friction. So. Wait,
0: can I give a a tip right there? Something I just thought of when you were saying that, you know, when we were having our our hard years, we looked for help. There were people who would volunteer, you know, when we were young and um, didn't have a lot of money and had, needed some help. We connected ourselves with some really neat people. And if somebody would say, hey, you know, I'm glad to meet with you for a few conversations. If you guys want to talk it out and kind of work through this, we took advantage of the the people who said, hey, I'd be glad to help you with your marriage if you want it. You know, when you're offering that help, when, when a person who's farther along in the journey than you offers help, take advantage of it. Unless you think they really don't mean it, you know, in which case, yeah. you know, here in the South, sometimes we need to say things two or three times for people to know we mean it. You know, it's our culture a little bit. But um, when you say it, and we took up with that. You know, we have met with a couple who did our premarital counseling and we met with another couple who um, we were friends with and they said, come and spend some time with us and we'll have some conversation with you. And we did that. And, you know, and then we've also gotten therapy and counseling over the years with various people to help us. Sometimes it's so hard to get out of your own mind to say what you need to say. You know, I mean, Mark and I speak different languages. Our personalities are so different that we don't always understand. Each, I mean, we just don't understand each other. So sometimes I say, go and get yourself an interpreter. And, and there have been people that I volunteer. And I say, hey, if you guys want to have a few conversations with us to help you work through that, I know maybe you don't have the money for counseling. We're not therapists, but we're glad to do that and have had very few people take us up on that. And so, very few not very many
1: yeah see um i mean as you know i'm, I'm from the uk and, and it doesn't seem i talk to a lot of people in the states
0: uh-huh. who
1: have it seems to have more religious connections who, who have people from the church they can have counseling from it doesn't seem to be that much here where i haven't heard people say you know like yeah we, we you know we had these friends that had this or we had the, we could get this counseling But it doesn't surprise me that not that many people take up because people have this kind of false pride or or this sense of like, they have to pretend that everything's okay, which actually stops them from, from being able to fix things.
0: Yeah. Or they want to, or they feel indebted or something like that. And so that's what I would hope to say to your listeners is if somebody invites you to help,
1: Hmm.
0: um, take them up on it, you're going to expose yourself. Yes. But if you want to, in fact, get better and improve your marriage you know, sometimes the option is, am I heading down the road of, you know, depression, disaster, divorce, wouldn't you rather open your life up to another couple who you like, at least give a few things a try before you head down that rough road? So yeah. the alternative might be terrible.
1: Yeah, it's very true. So you talked about being very different and, and there being been problems and you got through them, but I'm interested in how did the problems show up? How, how, did, how did you notice, do you know what I mean, in, in, what, in what form? was it you were getting fed up was it you were rowing or, or how did it
0: oh yes we would row. it's <laughs> yeah. a great word
1: uh, and <laughs> it's kind of...
0: or is that a noun we would have rows
1: <laughs> i think it's both
0: yeah <laughs> um yes we we would we would fight we would have um arguments and um and I, being a big a personality with a big personality, I tend to be more emotionally expressive. And, well, what does that look like, Monica? Well, it looks like being emotionally expressive. People who are emotionally expressive, they tend to laugh well, cry well, and be angry. Well, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> about the being angry well part, but <clears throat> emotionally expressive people, they tend to emote everything easier, yeah. which is generally... Um, can be helpful for some situations because um, I'm sorry, I want to turn off my phone because I don't want it to interrupt us in case something comes in. When When we get in a situation where we're having a fight, <clears throat> I'm wanting to have the conversation. I am digging in. I want to have the conversation. Let's finish this. And I'm kind of impassioned in it. Well, he'll, you know, he'll talk to me or he'll listen to me. But remember I said, he's a contemplative. And so he's also an internal processor. So I'm processing by talking and either I'm crying or I'm having conversation. Maybe I'm laughing, maybe I'm angry, whatever. Well, he's much more passive and he's hearing what I'm saying, but then he's He's not as emotionally expressive, so he's less tolerant for my emotional expressive. You know, initially, this was the way it was. Um, you know, why are you? Why can't you just logically have a conversation? Oh, I think this logic emotion thing is such a huge thing in relationship. Isn't it, Rob? It's like, oh, Here. you know, you need to calm down and speak logically. Well, don't you have any feelings? You know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so there's, there's that thing. And, and certainly being angry is so... Yeah, seldom, you seldom have good results when you're very angry. Um, and he almost never gets angry. So that was something that I knew that I need to figure out how to, how to verbalize better. And that was something that I spent a lot of energy focusing on. Where does my anger come from? Why am I angry? Um, how do I express what I need to say better so that he can hear me? Um, so I'm trying to learn to speak in a way that he could hear me. And he had to learn to step up and say what he wanted more clearly. But here's the thing with internal and external processors, and this is really huge, because we would have a fight and often it would be late in the day, we'd be tired. And we actually happened to come to the conclusion of going to bed and talking about it tomorrow is actually better. This thing of trying to not go to bed angry we we're just, wah, 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 wah. It was just, it didn't work for us. So we'd go to bed, you know, you don't always sleep after those conversations, but you know, you'd have a, we go to bed and have a conversation in the morning. I wasn't so emotionally charged and he'd had at least a little bit of time to process. So we were both in a better mindset where we could talk through things. But that's what we did. We would sit and I would say from my perspective and he would say from his perspective, we'd try and learn the tools that we got through counseling or marriage conferences, um, you know, to communicate better. And we would apply that. So I think everybody has fights of some sort. Almost everybody. I mean, you hear some people who say they never do. But I think if they never have fights, that's because somebody's shutting the other person down, you know, Um, and so it's figuring out how do you communicate and then looking for you know just always growing in that trying to communicate better um but we we would fight just like most people the difference is that because we were committed we were committed to find a solution to it and we were committed to learn to communicate better we knew we knew there were better ways to communicate we knew we were young and uh and could grow in this and we were committed to be growth focused individuals where if I learn to communicate better with you, that's also gonna help how I communicate better with my kids and in the culture, um, in my work. We had some sense of that this was kind of part of growing up and becoming
1: more mature. Hmm. Um,
0: but yeah, they were there were fights. Yep. Yeah. Disagreements.
1: Yep. Okay, so so what I'm interested in, in finding out is so a lot of people in your in your situation would have written it off to we're incompatible. Um, we're just so different. You, we can't live together. Get along. Um, right? and, and like you've said, uh, I like the quote from Dan wall where he says, when you marry someone, you marry a set of problems. I don't know if you've heard that before.
0: <laughs> I haven't heard that, but that's really good. It's,
1: yeah. it's true. <laughs> and it like if, if I married Anne, I've got a certain set of problems. And if I married Julia, um, I wouldn't have those problems, but I'd have a different set of problems, and right. um, and so what, whoever you marry, there is going to be a set of problems. Yep, it's just about working which of the set you can work around. And the Gottmans, uh, they talk about there being um, perpetual problems and. Uh, it's perpetual problems and solvable problems. Mm. So solvable problems are temporary. They're, they're based on the situation like maybe you have a problem because your kid's at school and that's causing the problem. But that's, that's temporary. That's going to change. But the real determination of whether a, a marriage is successful, as in as if it's fulfilling and, and, and happy, or whether it's not, is can you resolve the the perpetual problems? Yeah. And I think what you've been talking about is is the perpetual problems, of the problems of the differences in communicating, the differences. So you've come to, to quite a clear, you've been able to articulate the differences in personality. Um, I'm just wondering what are the perpetual, there's going to be perpetual problems that you're, you're you know, like you've talked about, the arguing yeah. um, and, and learning how to that process. What other perpetual problems have you had that you've worked out how to resolve?
0: Well, I've got one that I, uh, I can use as an example. This was a 15 year long problem. This was one of our big ones that we just couldn't get over it. Um, and so I'll give you an example. Cause also kind of the way out shows how you tie the personality profiles into getting out of those perpetual problems. Um, This particular one was is that my husband is a really neat person and he likes things neat, like the house neat. He likes things neat um, and he doesn't like clutter around Um, and I am glad you can't see my desk right now. Okay. (laughs)
1: I've just moved, I've just moved my things out.
0: Well, this is my neat little stage. You know, I create my sweet space here to be on video, but, um, so this was something we, we, when we were young, we would just, oh, why can't you clean up a little bit better? Why, why, you know, blah, blah, blah. Can we keep this space neat? And we just couldn't, you know, he could not stand the clutter and I was too much off doing this and doing that. And I was not about you know, picking up things as I went and putting them away. And, and it just wasn't important to me. Until, you know, I mean, so kind of here's how he kind of got out of that over the years was uh, he would try and figure out how it made him feel when the house was a mess. So he would say something like, when the house is a mess, I can't think I can't do work. I don't feel creative. And I feel like I have to go clean it up. It just drives me to clean it up. And so he said, my mind is uh, is cluttered. It's just not a space where I can work. You know, and we were all four of us living in the house with uh, the two kids and his business was in the house. And our first house was quite small. So um, all of our first homes up until, yeah, we were married about 10 years. We had very small homes. And so You know, it just created this constant state of stress for him, which of course would then add to his inability to communicate and be friends with me because he's, you know, that was stressed and he'd have that stress space. uh, We would call it like a stress cup full or your anger cup full, you know, your space where you're filling up with that was filled up with clutter would make him uh, have a harder time getting along, you know, and, and taking care of our relationship. So he was expressing that. And I could actually see that because I also then knew as I'm listening and, you know, when a space was clean, I did feel a little more relaxed and I did feel more um, creative in my thinking. So I also then, you know, began to take what he said as the way he saw things and apply that to me in my life and say, well, you know, having the neat space is kind of, um. And it it's good for me too. And I find I'm a little bit more creative as well. So I started looking at that, you know, but then he also had to say, it's not the end of the world. If I run out the door and go run some errands and don't have the kitchen cleaned up for a moment, you know, so he learned that relaxing is a little bit on it is an okay thing too. And he could let a, a certain amount of that go. Um, Okay. So that, so that was part of it was I, you know, I recognized the beauty in what he needed and he recognized the freedom in a little bit of where I was living. So that created some, the other was in finding our personalities, you know, being who I am and who he is, his personality just likes order better. That's what they do. Okay. So that's just part of who you are. You need the order. Um, so one was understanding how he felt and he understood how I felt. The second was acceptance of, it doesn't matter how much we understand each other, he's always gonna need the house to be cleaner. So we accepted that as that's the way he is, this is the way I am. Okay, we have to find a middle ground. Um, we also with that did the five love languages book and started to understand, um, how his gifts of service and his cleaning up and he would, you know, he needed me to clean up so that he could feel loved by me. That was something he felt love when I would participate in that. But part of his acceptance was, okay, I can't control Monica all the time. The whole house is not always going to be clean all the time, but I can manage these three rooms. So he chose the kitchen, our main living space, and his office. And so he would tend to those and always keep them clean. But then my acceptance was he needs it. So I committed to make more attempt to put things away more quickly when I came in the house, you know, get the groceries away, bring in stuff that you've been shopping, put that away as quickly as possible. Um, So I just became more committed to be attentive to it. And he became more committed to the rooms that he needed. So he didn't worry about our bedroom so much. He didn't worry about um, the kids rooms and and things like that. So it was just choosing what am I gonna manage and making progress. That's one of my life, um, I don't know the what, mottos or whatever, keep making progress. Um, We didn't get there. you know that easily. And like I said, this was something we worked on for 15 years solid before we got to a place of, of peacefulness. Um, but now our house is picked up most of the time, most of it. And um, a couple things that we're at now is, one, we do have someone who comes and cleans our house. So we know that every other week, We're going to have everything picked up and the house will be clean. You know, at least that'll go for a few days. So he gets that pleasure of having that done all at the same time. And I'm, again, more attentive because here's what happens too. When For us, like in this specific, there was a reward. When you had your house clean and neat, this is a reward for me, was I like having people over and I'm not too worried about it. If, you know, if there's a few things laying around because that's how people live, you know, but I also like, it being where I can have people over and feel comfortable with it, you know, so a little bit of clutter, I don't mind, but I love that people come to our house. They feel comfortable. They relax in our house. And I love having that um, ability to create hospitality. And part of that comes from the fact that our house is always in order. So when someone comes over, um, they feel at home and we can just put together a quick dinner and we can do spontaneity and have spontaneous events. And so that's been, my, you know, my reward of having it is because I'm the social person, I'm the extrovert, but I'm busy. So I can't always make all the appointments in advance. And, and that way I can feel free to have people to my house spontaneously. So rewards. And I know he's more at peace when the house is cleaner, and he relaxes more. And so we've seen that um, the process, understanding, acceptance, and then reward in working through the solution over years, over the time period. Does that kind of answer your question? I thought that might be a good example.
1: Yes. No, it does. It does very well. What's really interesting is is that journey took 15 years.
0: Yes, it did take – and I remember it's, I locked that in there. It took us 15 or more years to get through that.
1: So a lot of people would have said, like, five years. Oh, I was tried for five years. It's still not changed. And a lot of people would have given up. So I think what happens is people – they lose that kind of bond. They don't, they lose the, they change the way that they feel about someone. And so those differences then become incompatibility and, Oh, we've grown apart or we, we're too different. We can't right. work. And that's when people decide that the relationship is not going to work. During those 15 years, how did you feel about each other? Did did you, um, like obviously having resolved that you're going to feel have that kind of bond that you had in the beginning, right. but was there a, um, a time when, when you lost that feeling for each other.
0: I, um, okay. There's not like a, yes, I knew there was a season when we weren't really attracted to each other. Um, I, I, I don't have that kind of a story. Um, it was more of the occasional times was the pain in this particular item that we're discussing is too painful. And are we going to get through this? You know, it's just, I mean, there was occasionally this asking of, You know, it might last a week, it might last a month. You know, we had one issue later on in our marriage that was quite painful and lasted quite a bit longer. But when you live with that, it's kind of in your mind, but you're also still, you're going to work, you're living, you're raising your kids, you're eating together, um, you're still doing other things that are fun. Um, so like the thing with the house, it, and even the other issue that, that, you know, was painful, we didn't live in it all the time. Uh, you know, I don't want to say we lived in denial. I know plenty of people are great at living in denial, but you know, every issue isn't sitting just right here at the front of your brain all the time. And we had other mechanisms in place to be engaging in our marriage in good ways. We had, um, committed times for conversation, We were committed to having date nights when we were um, able to have a babysitter or, you know, even before we had kids. And so those things weren't like the only thing right here in front of our eyeballs. There was other good things going along as well that helped it to be fun and to, you know, that we could laugh and we planned a trip and we, you know, so we were still living life in a positive way. These were just the undercurrents of painful things that would come up, you know, You know, when something got too much, you know, the pile of things got too much, either the literal things or the emotional things and blah, you know, then, and, and we tend to go, you know, like the house and the things of being neat could have easily been a catalyst for there's something else emotional going on inside of me that I don't know how to express. So let's fight about the house again,
1: Hmm.
0: you know, where that's not really the issue, um, that's another question that we have in our life. Sometimes when we're getting upset over something that seems foolish or small, we, we, and we started this young, gratefully. We said, okay, what's really going on here? What's, what's the real topic of conversation here? And you have to be careful. That question can become patronizing if it's used with the wrong tone of voice. or And, and it has accelerated some you know conversations at times as well. But that's a real principle is we argue about things when often it's not that what we really feel isn't about the thing that you're arguing. It's about
1: something deeper. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, um, well, actually you've covered a lot of the things that I kind of write about on that, but (laughs) one of them is you, you, I talk about the hard landscape and the soft landscape. I think you have to operate from the truth. And the hard landscape is the facts, the, tr- the truth, and the soft landscape is there's all the stories and the interpretations and uh, the the things that we ascribe to the other person. We say, "Oh, we didn't take out the trash because he just doesn't care," and is right. uh, it, left the toothpaste, tooth cap off the toothpaste because because um, uh, he's just trying to get at me and all these kind of things. People make these stories and then they have this bitterness. But like you said, you say um if you can just deal with a real issue I mean you might not be able to resolve it straight away but you're able to at least know what you're fighting about and not then make it personal which sounds like something what you you've done like the key I think to a relationship the one thing that you need to focus on is the bond it's the bond of how you Mm. feel about each other and if you if you maintain that you can withstand any challenge but when you let whether it's children, whether it's, you know, the, the differences in personality and tidiness and untidiness or or whatever it is, when you let those come between you or, or like other family members and things that come, when you let them come between you, that becomes a wedge that it's then yeah. wedges you apart. So it sounds like you've been very conscious of that bond. So you talked about taking up people on the offer of, of, you know, people who, who, we're a little further along the the marriage path. And it sounds like you've, you've been to conferences and and picked up tips, but where did the drive come from to maintain that bond?
0: We have a marriage that overall, and I thought this even, you know, even earlier on was I wanted to marry this man because he has core values. Um, He has the faith, he has strength of character. He has, things about him, strengths and beautiful things that I love. And those core things are always there. And honestly, there have been times when we've had challenges and we work it out because the thought of getting a divorce and starting over with someone else, that's such, it's like, oh my gosh, it's going to be way easier to work this out and share together as painful as it is to work through this thing that's difficult. It's going to be way less painful than getting a divorce and, you know, uprooting our kids, living in two houses, and then trying to find another person and trying to get to know them. You know, I mean, here's kind of a loose example. We say, you know, when you have a car and you have a car and sometimes it's got a couple of issues with it and you think, well... If you can't like upgrade to a better car, you could sell your car and go buy another car that might be similar or maybe a couple years older. But the car that you understand, you know, you know the quirkiness of your car, you know how you've taken care of it, you know the benefits of it. The car you know is going to be better than the car that's going to come with other weird issues that you don't know how to handle. You don't know their level of commitment. And so it's kind of like that in the relationship is, you know, being here and being committed to this is better than trying to go out. You know, and it comes for some people, you go through this so long or it's gone so far down the road and it's irreparable. So I don't want people to hear me say that, you know, no marriage, you know, every marriage is, should be worked through and stayed in because some are really bad and I acknowledge that and they have really deeper issues. But when you're talking about two people who are generally normal, they all have some problems and issues, but if they're communicating with you and talking with you, you know, the problems you have and that you've already started to work with are potentially more manageable than going out and taking on a new set of problems a new per- in a new person. And then it's like you just said, the problems, there's always problems. And when you're going on to a second relationship, well, now you have maybe more additional children. You have more family members to get to know. So it's not even just the person. It's all of the rest of their world.
1: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think um, most couples, it's usually just um, like needing to learn certain skills, relational communication skills. Um, but most couples have got more to gain by staying together and working it out because it's, it's quite hard to find someone that you can spend, that you can live with for just, to, even just a few years. If you can live with someone for a few years, most of the time, of course, like you say, there are some marriages, some situations where it's healthier to get out. But for, in most cases, right. it's just a matter of understanding. It's just a matter of being able to relate and communicate. I remember uh, reading Jed Diamonds, um, Jed Diamond has a five step, uh, relationship model. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I can't remember exactly the the stages. It's like honeymoon stage. It's like sort of getting to know each other, the sort of niggly part. And then it's the part where it's kind of disillusionment and boredom. Yep. Um, and that is the stage where most people, most couples break and they go, Oh, we lost it all. But he said, actually, it's, it's getting past those two, those stages, where the real, um, like the deep companionable love um, and the real meaning of like marriage and lifelong relationship, where the real benefits come in. Um, From what you were saying, it sounded like yours was quite early on, was after those like five to seven years, did you then have, you know, he said this normally comes in about 15, 20 years where this kind of stage is, where people become sort of disillusioned, bored, and they think, like, you know, is this it? No, I'd say
0: that that probably came in at 15 or 20. Yeah, later on as well. Because the early one was just kind of the initial part of... Yeah, you know, and realizing, wow, you're more than I thought you were. (laughs) You know, because when you date someone, you still only learn so much about them. And so the first one was just wow, there's a lot more going on here than I realized and, um, uh, and then getting the help and working through that. But yeah, then we raised our kids and ran our businesses and, you know, still learned more about each other and lived life and tried to live life in a way that was um, dynamic and purposeful and, you know, so always growing with that. And then the kids get to be teenagers and, you know, for us, our kids' teen years were not Our kids were fairly, they went along fairly evenly. Uh, It wasn't a hugely dramatic time. And so that's probably it. Then you got these kids, they're teenagers. So then you kind of have to find out, okay, who are we again? Let's go on dates again. Do we like the same things? Um, And something that helped us actually during those years when our kids were old enough to be at home, we actually bought a motorcycle, Uh, bought a Harley Davidson motorcycle Uh, My husband had loved to ride as a young man and we hadn't had anything like that. And I was like, I don't know about this, you know, and it was expensive. And one of my girlfriends said to me, that motorcycle is way cheaper than a divorce. I said, you are so right. And so this motorcycle turned out to be probably, you know, now that you're saying it that way and I'm thinking of it, probably a big part of helping us get through those boredom years. Um, We, instead of just going on dates to the same old places, we took motorcycle trips, we met some new people, um, we just kind of had a new lifestyle that gave us interest in each other in a new way and interest in Um, life. So it might be time then for a good hobby. You know, if you don't like motorcycling, you know, when I was growing up, my parents at that time, we had bought an RV, a recreational vehicle. And, you know, you know, America is so big and there's so many places to go and different places to stay. So we had an RV and we went to the lake regularly and took a couple of big trips when I was a teenager. And so I always wanted to do that with my kids as well. And so I think when you get to that boredom phase, it might be nice to say, wow, is there some New hobby, you know. I mean, even on a remote thing, here's kind of a funny thing I'm thinking about doing this year is um, I want to see the play Hamilton. It's coming to my city. I've already seen it, but I want to see it here. And uh, but you're probably only going to get tickets if you buy season tickets. And I love the theater, but I never bought season tickets. So now I'm kind of looking at it as like, well, if I get the season tickets. Maybe I'll just enjoy that as a way to go out this year and kind of a fun adventure this year, and I'll go see a bunch of great plays, and it'll be fun, you know, so even something like that, um, that could be a new thing is gosh, we're a little bored. why don't we get you know why don't we plan a once a month to that music place we like to go to, or you know theater or um something that you can agree upon? I mean, probably one of the partners is going to like what you're doing more than the other, but you know even though I was not necessarily wanting to go be, you know, a biker chick, he loved it. I was on board with that. It was a new adventure for me as well. And so uh, I especially think men will grow through play more than women. Women can, it's easier for us to just sit around, drink a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, have some tea on the porch and just sit and talk. And we tend to do that easier, but men like to, um, grow in relationship with play. They do that with each other. And I think they really love it when their wives will go and play with them, you know, riding a bike, go to the car show, um, you know, whatever. Uh, So I think when you get to the border space, if you haven't had time or money, can you find some time and money to go develop a new hobby together? And that'll give you some new interests and you'll meet some new people.
1: Yeah, I I think that's that's really important. Uh, What I see a lot is couples break up around about usually about 20 years 22 23 25 yeah and often it's like for as a generalization for the man it's really important to be respected and to mm-hmm. feel like they're important that they feel that they have some competence skill that kind of thing and and I think when you're like 20 years into a relationship, your, your wife doesn't look like look at you like that anymore your kids don't look at you like that anymore and you're kind of yeah. like did you put the, did you put the trash out did you do this and then someone's got you know but by that time a lot of people have have reached a um a certain level in their work or of or, or, or some expertise or something and then they often have like maybe someone that they're mentoring is like younger and, and an attractive girl that's kind of looking up and going oh I'm learning all this thing and suddenly you know they feel like They've got that importance, and they go home, and, and it's like, oh, I, I, you know, I did this in my work, I did this, one. they go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you did that last week as well, didn't you? And like nobody's interested at home, yeah. um, and there's a lot of that that kind of male ego where you need that to that validation from someone else, and when they get it from someone else, and someone else finds them attractive, and and you know, like to to a colleague, especially if it's someone younger than you, they've got like something that they can show them. They're more of a man of the world and they're more experienced than and, and they're kind of looking up to them and the man feels like, whoa, whoa, you know, like I've, I've suddenly got this lease of life that I haven't had for, for, you know, for 10 years. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really, um, like you say that, that sense of having that, um, Harley Davidson or some, that some kind of hobby gives, give your husband and other men, a sense of that new thing of of that they're developing some skill, and again, like you say, men typically aren't so good at talking about things openly and or, or consciously, but it's like they know how they feel and they just want something to feel that way, and so having that kind of thing fills that gap and is a way of of getting over that.
0: Having the hobby along the line with what you were saying. I totally agree that's a very normal thing, and it comes with the stage of life. I mean, it may be twenty years or it may be at forty five years old, you know it's kind of one or the other. They seem to come similarly for a lot of people, but if you have the the hobby thing, you get out of the household routine, and that's one of the things it did for us was we let the house go, you know it's like you leave it behind. don't stay in the house, don't worry about the trash, let's go do our hobby, let's go be another version of ourselves. When you've been married 20 years, you're so immersed in the routine of the house and the kids and everything like that, And it does feel kind of rote and tiresome. So if you can find a way to go be adults again and to have the adult conversation and to meet other people, then I think in theory, both of you can become more attractive to the other person again, outside of it. You can create that romance that you, you know, that you say that a man's recognizing by this other yeah. person looking up to them. You can create that when you get away from just the constant of, you know, the day, yeah. day in, day out stuff and get into something more interesting.
1: Yeah. It's getting out of that rut and you see each other differently and, and you feel differently.
0: All of a sudden you get to be impressed. Wow, that was an interesting <laughs> conversation. Or, I didn't know you knew that person or, you know, you begin to see them in another light and it's, a, yeah. it's healthy. It's
1: good. So when would you say, like, was there a stage when you got past that? And then you felt, did you, did you feel like it kind of shifted in a stage? You said like, like 15 to 20 years, there was that kind of a little bit of boredom. And then did that pass?
0: Well, the, the motorcycle season was good. And then we also went through the empty nest season when our kids were both leaving and growing up. And because we had been committed, I mean, and I want to say one thing that we did that starting pretty young that we learned with the five love languages, I told you my husband loved acts of service and I loved quality time. And so we committed to sit down and have conversation every day. Um, when I teach classes and I tell people this, they say, how long did you talk to each other? And I say, one hour. And their eyes get real big and they can't even imagine just sitting and having an hour long conversation with their spouse every day. And I'll tell you, you know, we used like question cards and, and books and things like that to help us. We didn't always have something to talk about and it wasn't always great. But uh, And I would say, start with a half an hour. If you can't imagine an hour, that's okay. Um, so we were doing that all through our marriage. And so we, that created some sense of awareness of, oh, well, okay, our kids are empty nesting. So, you know, we had created space to have conversations. So we would naturally talk about that. What's going to change, you know, being at home now that this is changing? How does that affect our relationship? And um, so we would kind of observe some of these phases as they were happening. And I loved my kids at every age. And that was kind of a commitment was I'm not going to long for babies. Uh, and I think my kids as adults are just awesome. And it's so exciting. But I loved having the kids in every age. So we tried to be present, at, you know, in the moment as as we were in it. We also observed, observed when we get to various stages <clears throat> specifically the empty nest that was kind of that phase like you said with the boredom and then people their kids went away and they didn't know each other because they hadn't really spent time hanging out together and then they were bored and they or they didn't like each other anymore and that's when we saw a lot of divorces you know maybe between the 20 and 27 year you know Hmm. age um and some of those were you know they'd been years moving toward that place so you know, I've seen some of them trying to work out and some of them, it didn't work out. You know, they'd been distracted from each other for so long that there really wasn't anything there. So the question I would always ask myself is after we'd have a big row um, or a season of a specific kind of themed row, if you will, I keep thinking, okay, we're over that now. Are we done? Are, are we in a safe place? Are we going to stop having them now? Are we, are we in a good place? Are, or are we in the forever good place now? <laughs> And um, honestly, I think we're there now. (laughs) I mean, I will say that. But when your life changes, um, when your career situation or your health, you know, once you get then get to be um, married, you're after 50, uh, health issues kind of start becoming a factor, which affect your ability to work, you know, and all those respect issues and places I need to be now are affected also by health and things like that. So that can become another factor. And, you know, we've had some of those in our family. So we had to say, okay, how are we going to work through the, the health factor? Or you just have other permanent changes. And it, my point in this is if you don't have the structure to keep talking and growing through those, any one of those could derail you. You know, there are so many life changes that come through that could derail people. Um, we've had friends who've, um, who had a stillborn baby and that derailed their marriage and you know i don't know all the details of it but i know that it affected both of them so deeply they didn't come back together so there are all kinds of things that could happen in life that are really hard that could derail a marriage you know and i think about some of those that's another thing i do too is i proactively look ahead and say if this happened could i deal with it and sometimes the answer is wow I don't know that I could deal with it, but I look around and say, but I know people who have dealt with it who could help me. I mean, like I'm already looking around for my support group and my friends that could help me with something terrible if it happened. And so just like, you know, getting, getting with friends when we were younger and needing help and just understanding each other, I know that I have friends who can help me get through something else that might be very difficult to get through. I think we've kind of arrived at kind of a final place. Does that mean we're not ever gonna have um, a fight again? No, probably not. Cause you know, sometimes I still get stressed and even though I've learned to manage my emotional reactions through a lot of intentionality in my life, sometimes I'm still that way and sometimes he's still distracted and he has other things that have changed in his life. So we just keep talking. But if people don't have a basis to have good conversation, I don't know how they get through some of the hard things to be quite frank. It's, and I can see why they derail a marriage because there are a lot of things in life that are hard and, uh, being able to talk about them is what has helped us get through them. So Hmm. do I think you ever get there? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, but I definitely think there's plateaus and peaceful places where you get to, it's not all, it's not always hard. It's not, and it's not always been hard. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: Life is hard, but your marriage doesn't have to be if you're committed to work on it.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like you say, seasons. Yes. You get get a season where, where, you know, the sun is shining and the clouds are out and, and everything's wonderful. And then you get the, the winter season where, where it's a little bit harder.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A little bit lonelier. Um, but get some help then be with your friends and get some help and get out of it.
1: Yeah. Okay. There's two things there that you, that I'd, I'd like to ask you a little bit more about. One you said was about having the structure for your marriage. You've had the, the structure, as in that you always had the ability to have that conversation. Right. But when you talk about structure, I'm just curious what exactly you mean?
0: Well, for us that, that structure, you know, we were kind of going as, um, two ships in the night, you know, with the love language thing. And, and like I say, I'm going all the time and I was leaving the house. And, you know, finally I, we looked at me and said, gosh, if you're going to be gone all the time, go get a job, you know, um, make some money. And so we spent a lot of time figuring out what would be a good job for me. And so I was gone all the time and doing my job and my husband was working at home. And at this point, the kids were in school, but he was trying to love me with his acts of acts of service. And, you know, he's just, he's awesome like that he's the kind of guy you know you go out of town come back and he's put in the new washer and dryer and isn't it that nice and well it is really nice and it's fantastic but it's not my you know that didn't make me feel loved um but man sit down with me and talk to me and let's have some great conversation which ironically he likes to have conversation too for some people they might not want to have conversation but it means let's watch a movie together or you know people who really love sports would love to have their spouse enjoy sports with them, you know. So for us, we found it to be conversation. And my husband actually enjoys deep conversation as well. So he kind of realized once we started doing this, that um, that it was good. So what we did was we would talk after the kids went to bed, before we went to bed, we would take one hour. So we could still have like another hour of of reading or watching TV or something like that. But while we were building the habit, it was very little TV because that was before Netflix when you could kind of, you know, guide your time. But we would sit and talk for one hour. That was kind of our commitment was we're going to have a conversation. It was at the end of the day, we'd have a cup of tea or a glass of wine or a beer and just sit and have an hour's worth of conversation to kind of wind down. Well, you may know having conversation of some kind isn't always a wind down. So sometimes we would wind down and we just had good conversation. We'd talk about a day. We had great conversations and go to bed. Sometimes we'd have amazing conversations and we'd get all excited and worked up because this was such a great conversation. And we'd talk about things of the spirit and we'd talk about things of our money and things about our emotional health. And, you know, so sometimes we'd have these really awesome dig in conversations. Um, and then other times, to be honest, we were tired and we were cranky and we started down a line and woo, we, it did not end well you know, you're fighting and screaming and going to bed angry. Um, but the thing that my husband always said to me, you know, I would say to him sometimes about me bringing up these things. And it was usually me again, because I'm the one who has that emotional edge. What did you, I would ask him, what do you think about that? You know, does it wear you out that we get to that point? And he said, I never love it when we fight. That's not a good thing. He says, but what I love is you bring things to the surface. We don't live in denial. We don't sweep things under the rug. We have open, honest conversations about things. And you bring that to our conversations. He said, I love that openness that we have in the conversations. And you bring that because you have such a passion for the truth and such a passion to bring things out into the open. You know, so he had the choice to either engage with me in that or not. And he chose to engage. And so our structure was every night. But I would encourage anybody to have, you know, they can have different kinds of structures. You know, some people have um, some time together in the morning. For some people, it's a date night every week. They go out the certain night every week, and that's their time they have together. You know, it could, it doesn't have to be exactly that. I mean, I do encourage married couples to have more conversation than they have, but it doesn't have to be an hour every day like ours. But if you have that mechanism in place for conversation and for listening to the other person then when something's hard you already have that in place and so it's going to be easier to talk about health issues and how you feel with that or you know sex and the changes that happen as we age you're going to be able to have those conversations better when you're already having good communication together
1: okay that makes sense um the other part was you said that you, you talked about the importance of a support network. Yes. So how would someone, how would someone go about that? How have you built? Cause it, it sounds like you've done that quite consciously.
0: Yes. You've built. Um, yeah. It's well for us, you know, we because we were in a community of faith young, you know, that is a situation that allows for community you know, people are getting together, they know the value of having friendships and being involved with other people. So people tended to come together more easily. You know, it's, you didn't always make long friends, but it was easily at least to connect with people and learn and, and make those friendships. Um, so our faith community was a big place where we connected with people, especially early on. <clears throat> um, other places that I've connected over the years that you know, we've kind of come in and out of are my, um, I was a, I've been a real estate agent for a number of years and so I've connected well with some of the agents and professionals there and Mark comes with me to events sometimes so we found some good connections with people there. Um, we've joined meetup groups where we've met other people um, and I'm, I'm out there all the time. So for me, I meet lots of people for him, being an introvert, it usually occurs a little bit more intentionally and over time. And one of the things that I've found has been good for us is the fact that we've lived in this same town our whole married life, actually. We haven't moved a lot. And if you've moved a lot, that, that's a challenge. I, I'm going to you know, say that up front. It makes it more difficult. Um, But if you're in the same town, you get to know people, you meet people, but we have done it intentionally. It's been like, wow, that's a really great couple. I want to hang around them more. And one of the things that we did to encourage those relationships was we never waited for people to be friends with us. If we saw somebody who was really fantastic that we'd like to hang out with, we'd invite them over for dinner. Um, and then you just see where it goes. And so maybe we meet with them again and we go on and have a great friendship maybe we only meet with them once or twice but if there's some kind of social circle it still strengthen our relationship even if you just see them at the ball field or you see them at um in town at the grocery store you know so having people over to your house to eat and i like to have them to my house to eat because then you don't have to worry about leaving the restaurant because you're staying at a table too long and you know um But people who don't feel as good having people over, they'll go out to eat, um, you know, and have dinner. Another thing that I've noticed in my neighborhood, uh, we live in an area where we have a lot of new construction. And so in our area, we've had a lot of people moving here from outside of the area. And how do they get to know people? And I see neighborhood social committees, they've been a really good way to connect people when you come, you know, when you move a lot. If you can engage in your neighborhood social committee, a lot of the the social committee are just going to the events and being, again, intentional to meet people, follow up with a dinner, follow up with another event. Don't just let that be the thing. Those relationships seldom come passively. You have to say, I want to be connected and I want to have people in my life. And it comes with an openness. A couple has to decide. I'm okay with letting those people in my life. You know, I want to live with at least a mostly honest, <laughs> you know, I mean, we often have things that we don't want to share, but you know, I'm going to live with a mostly honest perspective and I'm going to go in with fairly open hands to try and listen, you know, at least believing there's some good for me here.
1: Okay, I uh, just going to ask you some of the biggest mistakes that you see other people making with their relationships.
0: Oh, well. Wow. I see People not spending time having conversation, which we've already talked about, I see um, people in debt. They're, they're financial in debt, and that creates just this high level of stress all the time. You know, People are like, "Well, don't tell me what to do with my money, I can be free." It's like, "Well, that's true, but I know when you're in debt, it doesn't give you the freedom to buy a motorcycle or, you know take some weekends away or have date nights. You know when you're in debt, it's just this constant money stress. So I think money being too much in debt and not talking about money is a mistake and a stress point. And there's lots of financial programs now to help you. Again, take a, take a little conference, take a class, take a meetup where people are talking about financial health. So I think that's one. I will say not talking about your feelings. We have to learn to use better words to talk about our feeling. Words like disappointment, frustration, not just I feel sad or happy, I feel lonely, you know, and then digging into the why of that, using better words. But you know, one thing, and this is one point that I would really love to leave with your listeners. Um, I see so many people not able to laugh. And honestly, that's one of the greatest things that my husband and I have together. We laugh. And I'd like to tell you a little bit how that came, to about, came about because I didn't laugh so well before we got married. In my family of origin, we tended to be a little bit more serious. And my one brother, he was the cut up and he would always entertain us. And that was great. So I was kind of serious, even though it was kind of fun and, uh, you know, a little rambunctious. I, uh, I didn't laugh as well as I could. And I have a really great laugh, actually, when you kind of get it going. And so, but my husband, he has a really great laugh and he would laugh so well. And when we first got married, he was uh, making fun of me all the time. Well, okay. So initially that didn't go over well. And he also came into our marriage with a gift of sarcasm. So I would say that's a communication mistake is using sarcasm because he would say something and, you know, it didn't last very long when I just looked right at him and I was like, that's unacceptable. If you have something to say to me, you're going to say it to me, but don't make fun of me like that because I know that's just a backhanded punch. Okay. So sarcasm is not healthy. It doesn't get to solutions. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. You know, and it gives people this excuse rather than coming directly into something. And so if you got something to say, then say it, you know, don't be sarcastic. So, once he got over the sarcasm, though, he's still real punny and funny and loves to make fun of things. He loves to laugh. So, gratefully, he worked on that and, you know, began because I was direct, he was direct back with me. And, you know, we encouraged that in each other. But then he also would just laugh at me all the time over these little things that I did. And we all have these quirky things, you know. um, I have this funny cough and I have these other little things that I do, little quirky things. And he would laugh at me. And I'd be like, giving him a face and don't laugh at me or, you know, that makes me feel bad. And he's like, why, why can't you just entertain me? <laughs> you know, if the way I cough can make him laugh, oh my gosh, let me let him laugh. Um, cause I'm still going to cough like that. And quite frankly, it's kind of funny when I cough like that, you know, <laughs> and so he taught me to take myself less seriously which totally led the way for me, even as a public speaker, to let people laugh at me. I am so, I am so okay with myself, you know, and, and if I do something that's really stupid or funny, please laugh. And, and he taught me that, you know, he said, honey, that's no big deal. Just let me laugh. And, you know, la- and laughter, we could go on and on about how good it is for your health and how it releases stress and how it does endorphins, all these good things, but people don't often laugh well. And they, they take offense when people laugh or they're worried they're talking about me or something like that. And it's like, Oh my gosh, just please laugh at me. Um, And so
1: I, I saw that actually on your, it's on your website, isn't it? You're welcome to laugh with or at us as much as you like.
0: Yes, please yeah. laugh, laugh at me, laugh with me. Um, because I'm not going to take myself so seriously. I'm so tired of, you know, worrying so much about what other people think. And does that mean I never embarrass myself? No. Sometimes I still get embarrassed, you know, and sometimes it's still, I still say to Mark, don't laugh at me about that. Um, <clears throat> I'm serious. Don't laugh at me, you know? Um, But I want, I want happiness and that laughter has just been such a gift that we've developed. I mean, you know, you can say we have it as a gift, but I'll come back and say, yeah, but it's one we've developed. And um, I get sad when I see couples, one of the couples might be kind of funny and like to laugh and can create those scenarios. And then the other partner puts them down and says, don't laugh about that. Or you're like, you know, they take offense or they get all serious and stuff. And I think if we all laughed easier, Oh, especially right now or you know let's laugh a little bit more and take ourselves less seriously uh and create more joy in the world that's a mm. that's yeah
1: I, I i do think there's been a, a lot of it's, it's like political correctness yeah um and there is a problem there we have been you know there have been groups that have been marginalized and and discriminated against and whatever but it becomes that the pressure to fight for that and make that make people aware of that has become another way that we repress people yeah. in ways that you can't. You're not free to talk, and you're not free to laugh at this, or you're not free to laugh at that. And I, so, yes, yeah, so I think that that as a society, it's become because most comedians, where their laughs come from, is is poking fun at at the absurdity of of, of us all, right. and it's just yeah, you know, taking ourselves less seriously and not not having limits on what we can laugh at um, is I think I think it's always the intention rather than the content of what I said
0: yep so laugh at me I can start with that you know laugh at me and you know because I know I'm as much as I talk I know I'm going to say things that sometimes are a little inappropriate or sometimes out or uh, very often goofy laugh please (laughs) please laugh at me (laughs) because then I will laugh with you. <laughs> so the, so I think those are, I think we've covered a lot of the things that I think. Um, that one, one more thing though, that just came into my mind that Mark and I have talked through this as well, that you mentioned about men needing respect. And you know everybody does want to have a certain amount of respect. But another thing that I see is painful that I see in public is people belittling each other, spouses belittling each other in public and not laughing. You know, I mean, somebody will do something funny and the other person will rebuke them. And A, that stuff doesn't need to happen in public. Have I done it? Yes. Has my husband done it? Probably not as much as me. Because, and here's the thing, for people who rebuke their partners in public, you know who really looks bad?
1: Yeah. It's not the person who messed up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's the person doing the rebuking. So... Mm you know, the person who's upset and embarrassed by their partner, when they start yelling at them, they're the ones who really are looking embarrassing, yeah. really, you know? So, and that's been me. Cause again, I'm the more outspoken, the more passionate one. If I'd say something to my husband in public, you know, he's embarrassed. So he feels small, but in fact, I'm the one who looks bad. Yeah. Um, so try and keep that, just try and look for better words and try and express yourself clearly rather than harshly. That just anger and belittling that doesn't move anywhere positive. So if those are the way that you communicate, you know, it's not going to flip overnight, but just keep working on it because it will, you can make that improvement. I have. The recovered, recovered angry person. <laughs> I choose to laugh now instead of be angry.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that, that's, that's really important. Where I always see it is in the supermarket. I say the supermarket, the airport, and children's play areas. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you go in any supermarket, like on a Saturday afternoon, you just see the way couples talk to each other and, and, and there is that real, you know, trying to belittle someone over the brand of bread that they picked up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. choose a higher road.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, this is, this has been, it's been great talking to you. It's been fascinating. All all the lessons that you've learned, I think is a real model and and a kind of roadmap really for people to, to learn from. So thank well, you. And it's
0: it's just been so intentional. That's what I I want your listeners to hear is that it doesn't happen just because you're alive. Mm. Uh, our marriage is good because we've been intentional. We've read books. We've gone to conferences. We've had counseling. We have conversations. It's been it's taken work, and we put the work in it, and it's been mm. well worth it. It's it's a privilege.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think so many people just don't think there's anything you can do. They think it's either there or, or it's not. So f- thank you for for sharing and helping people see that you can work, you can make something, you know, a relationship awesome. Um, so that's been, it's been great to to talk to you.
0: Well, thank you, Rob. It's been a pleasure to be here with you and hear what you've learned and seen and uh, your insights as well. So I appreciate it.
1: Okay. Thank you. Um, just the, I know that you're not in the relationship field, but, um, for, for listeners that are interested and maybe there is something that you're, someone might connect with, you're, uh, you do speaker training, is it?
0: I I do um, real estate and kind of what we call quote, advanced real estate education. And okay. uh, so I talk about a lot of things because real estate, the industry is quite broad. Um, but if they want to follow me or connect with me, they could go to my website, which is Living. It's the same as Monica Neubauer.com, but I've had this new brand, and it's called Funtentional. And I put that word together because I want to live my life with fun and intentionality. So FuntentionalLiving.com and Monica neubauer.com. And um, or since your listeners are European, it's actually the German pronunciation, Monica Neubauer. Uh, uh, so I wondered
1: if there was some German in there when I saw yes.
0: it. Yep, so my husband's family is German. my mom was Swedish, so that's kind of our. Our, our European backgrounds there. Um, yeah. So I'd love to have anybody, you know, if they need to connect with me, that'd be great.
1: Okay. Well, thank you. And, and good luck. And I hope you, you have reached the happy ever after and, or, or otherwise uh, learn from your next stages. Yes.
0: Either when you get there, enjoy it. And when the, when the mountains come again, yeah. Climb up over them, get to the next plateau. That's, that's the best place to be for me.
1: Okay, thank you, Monica.
0: Thank you, Rob.
1: Thanks for listening. I'm Rob McPhillips, and I'm here to help you navigate your relationships more successfully. Go to relationshipgpsproject.com to find answers to your relationship questions or ask new ones.